vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to... What's this bitch talking about? <laughs> Forgot the name of the podcast for a second. <laughs> to which the answer to that question is, every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date, which means today we're talking about Season 5, Episode 5, No Place Like Home, with a brief discussion of Angel, the Angel episode, Dear Boy that aired the same night. So first of all, I got to tell you guys why I just forgot the name of this podcast. <laughs> Woo. Okay. It's 1030. About half an hour ago, I sat down to record after what was a very long day and I was ready to take a giant sigh of relief and press record on this beautiful podcast. <laughs> but okay, first let's backtrack. So, um, I had an eight hour work day today and my Michael insisted that we go grocery shopping right after I got off work, which is difficult for, you know, difficult for an autistic girl, no matter what to like, you know, from an eight hour day of having to like be a public servant, then have to like go remain in public by getting groceries and doing chores and all that stuff. So we like picked up sandwiches real quick, ate them in the parking lot. Then we went to the grocery store and I had like, I also started my period while I was at work today. So that's a part of the whole thing. I wasn't expecting it, which is stupid because today's the day I was supposed to start. So I should have been expecting it, especially because the older I get, the shorter my cycles are. You guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Anyway, so it was just like already such a long day when we got groceries. And then as we're in the car on the way home, I start getting really itchy in several different places. And so when I get home, I, I can't even like unload the groceries because I just have to like take my clothes off right this very second and see why I'm itchy. And I had three bug bites on me in three totally different places of my body. I'm pretty sure they were mosquito bites because they acted the same way mosquito bites do on me, which is when I first get them, they're super swollen and red and irritatingly itchy for like the first, I don't know, 20 minutes or so. And then they just sort of die down and don't really bother me that much anymore. So, but I was worried because I was like, what, how the hell, like, you know, it's really cold out today. It's the end of October. How, how did I get mosquito bites? I, I did not find evidence of any bugs on me at all. And it seemed to be happening in the car on the way home. So maybe some kind of bug that was in Michael's car. I don't know. Anyway, I wasn't even going to tell you guys about this part of the story. But I immediately, like, just in case it was something more nefarious than, like, a mosquito, I threw everything I was wearing um, and everything that was in my dirty clothes, which I just did laundry yesterday, so it wasn't much. I threw everything in the washer and I took a shower. And I'm fine now. Like, I think that crisis is over, whatever that was. I probably just got bit by something strange. I don't know. But it was just weird because, like, I didn't know what it was. So that whole thing happened. And then, um, I did everything that I do for this podcast. I watched the angel episode. I watched the Buffy episode and took notes. And I watched the, um, TPN Buffy guide for the episode for the Buffy episode. 
and that all took until 10 o'clock. Um, so that was my day, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. That was my day. And then yeah, I pour myself a glass of water and a glass of wine. And I sit down and I've got my little table. I've got my notebook and my Buffy guides out. And I got my candles set up. I haven't lit them yet, thankfully, because I like was moving the table over a little bit and I was about to, or it was like, maybe I bumped it while I was sitting down next to the table. I don't know. Either way, I tipped over my glass of wine. Luckily, the water didn't tip over. Luckily, I hadn't lit the candles yet, but I tipped over my entire glass of wine, <laughs> which was probably, I don't, it's not a huge glass, but it was like at least, it's at least like five ounces. And it all tipped over on this like cube shelf thing that I have. And it just took me the last half hour to clean it all up because it went all over. I am personally, I personally apologize to anyone that's ever given me a coloring book in the last five years because I, the wine completely, completely destroyed all of them. I don't really do coloring books. So I actually, it's one of those things where it was like, well, that's sad because most of those were gifts from people and they were cute and I plan to use them someday, but I don't have to feel guilty when I look at them anymore. <laughs> like, oh, a gift someone gave me that I never use. <laughs> so anyway, totally destroyed a bunch of coloring books. It um, got all over my paper recycling, which no big deal. Just, you know, get that out of the room because I needed to empty that bin anyway. It destroyed my holistic tarot book. Well, I mean, it's just, I don't know if it's destroyed yet. I'm going to let it dry, but the entire bottom of the book is purple from wine. So I might have to buy a new copy of that, which sucks. Cause that's like a 25, $30 book paperback. And I don't spend that much money on books. And then it, coated the bottom of a couple of other books. Oh God, I just got wine everywhere, you guys. And it got all over my rug, but my rub, rug is purple leopard in this room, so you can't really see it. <laughs> I don't know how thorough I need to be about cleaning it up off the rug. Like it's wine, so is that going to attract things because it's sweet? I don't know. I, I mean, I soaked up as much as I could. My mom taught me well, as far as cleaning things up are concerned. I think I got everything, but it's one of those spills that's just like all over so many things that I'm probably going to be finding wine on stuff for the next two years in this room. <laughs> oh my God. But I didn't throw in the towel, guys. I'm here. <laughs> just one of those, like, one of those days, man. And like, I've like stubbed my toe and different things like that. Just like running into things and stuff like little mishaps like that all day long. It's just been, it's been a day. And yesterday I I've been like, this was my first week back to work after having two weeks off. So, um, I've been working a lot this week and I've gotten some tarot reading orders from my Etsy shop, which is great. I love doing readings for people. If you guys want a reading, the link is always in the description of the podcast episode. Um, it's, it's been a very busy week. And yesterday 
I had a day off, but I didn't sleep well. But I did. I was actually very productive yesterday. I, like, did laundry. I cleaned the house for the first time in, like, three weeks. I, that's basically it. But that, that was a lot of productivity for a lazy person like me. But, um, I got shit done yesterday. And then today I've just been constantly on the move for 12 hours. And now I'm ready to record this podcast. And I feel like I'm delirious already. So let's get to it. I'm just sitting here kind of obsessing a little bit because now that I'm just sitting in this room with candlelight, I can't actually see and I want to like obsessively look to see if I got all the wine. I think I did. (sighs) That fucking book, you guys. If anybody wants to buy me a replacement copy of Holistic Tarot, just because you like listening to this podcast and you feel my pain because you've spilled wine all over something before too. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) It's a really important tarot book to me, which is why I have it in this room, because it's a quick reference guide, and it's a gigantic fucking book. It's, like, bigger than the Bible. You guys. It's, like, fully, oh my god, it's, like, ballooning out, you know, whenever things are, like, totally waterlogged. It's, like, twice as big on the bottom because of all the wine that's soaked into it. It's just, like, getting bigger and bigger. And I had to like, cause I have like, um, like little spread cloths that I keep draped over my tarot table, which is what I usually put my Buffy notebook on and all my candles and everything. And I had two, like, um, like a doily type thing, like a table doily. It's basically a tablecloth. I guess I can call it a tablecloth, a tablecloth. And then like a, a tarot spread cloth on top of the tablecloth and both of those got soaked with wine too the bottom of my buffy notebook is totally soaked in wine oh you guys everything it's a good thing i like purple and i'm not too precious about like if books get somewhat damaged by like get somewhat water damaged luckily none of them are library books oh my god okay All right, we're here to talk about Buffy, not staining things with wine. Um, But of course I had to share that with you guys because I'm half an hour behind on pressing record for this podcast because I was cleaning up wine that entire time. Anyway, luckily I have a lot of experience with cleaning up spills because I I am like that cliche girl... (laughs) like Bella Swan or some shit. I just like, I knock things over all the time. I spill things a lot. I mean, wine sucks. Wine sucks to have to clean up, but at least it wasn't like Pepsi or something. (laughs) I mean, it's still going to be sticky, but anyway, okay. We're not, we're not thinking about that anymore. So the Buffy episode begins with a flashback to two months ago bunch of monks monks candles and chanting turns out they're talking to each other i don't know if the chanting is in czech but they're talking to each other in czech um and i only know that because of the um the passionate nerd his his episode guide he mentioned that um then we cut to buffy is fighting some guy 
in like the parking lot of a warehouse or something and a security guard, a vampire, and she stakes him. And then a security guard comes out and he thinks that she's there for a rave or something and tells her to get out or something. They have a little conversation and she ends up with this little glowing sphere thing that was on the ground in the parking lot or something. And he thinks it's hers. He thinks it's like a rave thing. And it turns out it's called a Dagon Sphere and is made to protect against primordial evil, which I'm skipping way ahead because you don't find that out until close to the end of the episode. But she just kind of picks it up because it's a mystical glowing orb thing and just assumes that she should take it to Giles and figure out what it is. Um, the whole Joyce having headaches thing is front and center this episode it's just I hate that we have to I love that Buffy as a show deals with heavy shit I like that I like that you can really you can you can really be put through the ringer on Buffy emotionally speaking and usually I find that very cathartic but it's it's also hard when a fantasy show gets real because I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I prefer, I mean, the, the type of like TV that I watch, it's either fully fantasy like Buffy or it has some aspect to it that makes it not quite feel real. Um, such as like being set in the past, like glow. That's one of my favorite shows. Um, that has like real shit going on with glow, but it has like the cheesiness of wrestling and the fact that it's set in the eighties. Um, I love RuPaul's Drag Race, which has a heavy fantasy element, even though it's a reality TV show, it's about people that, um, you know, have personas make their living in fantasy, essentially. Um, so it's it's just whenever it's something real like brain tumor you know it's it's hard and it's going to be hard watching Joyce go through this this season but the season's really well constructed so far it's really it's really going well I'm enjoying it quite a lot this is the first time during this entire project, I mean, there have been times that like, there's been like a to be continued episode or something where I've wanted to go on to the next one. But so far watching this season, it's the first time that I can remember since I've started this project that I really want to keep going. You know, I don't want to stop watching. Uh, it's just, it's hard to stop. Okay. Um, what are we doing here? So Joyce is having a lot of headaches throughout this episode. Um, we're seeing how much her and Dawn, how good of a relationship the two of them have, which is really kind of sweet. Um, Giles in his wizard outfit. Let's go ahead and say it right now. First of all, I, I mean, it's, it, it's a cute scene when Buffy walks into the magic shop. It's opening day of the magic box. And Giles is excited and he's wearing a super tall, pointy purple wizard hat. It's like purple velvet with like silver stars and shit on it and a matching cloak. And he looks so cute and whimsical. 
and she just like stares him down just like she did when he was wearing his little fringy sombrero on Halloween last year. So this is like the same time of year, literally, because we don't even get a Halloween episode. So um, next week, there's no episode to talk about. So we'll have next week off. Anyway, um, so she stares him down because she doesn't let him be whimsical. This is the outfit of the episode. Obviously, I wish we could have seen Giles wearing this outfit for longer than this little moment. I think I'm just going to call out all of the like ratings for the episode as we go tonight because I already know what the quote of the episode is going to be and it's a little it's a little exchange that happens when Buffy comes to the magic shop on that opening day she shows that um glowy sphere thing which turns out is called a dagon sphere she shows it to everybody and Giles says it appears to be paranormal in origin and somebody asks, I don't, I think it was Dawn. Um, well, how can you tell? And Giles says, well, it's so shiny. <laughs> I just love that. Um, Dawn calls out, she, she kind of like tells on Buffy that she, um, mentioned to Dawn or something that like Riley is all weak and cute and kitteny and she doesn't want him to get hurt so he can't come with her patrolling or something and he and this is in front of everybody and Riley clearly is having trouble with that information and he asks Giles if he can like go punch things in the danger room as he calls it um which is Buffy's training room behind the in like the back of the magic shop. So that's a little, I don't know what to think about that. I mean, I, in the past, I probably would have interpreted that as like, you know, fragile, fragile masculinity, but I don't know. I, I, I understand it. I understand that it's probably really hard to adjust when, you know, you're in a relationship with a slayer and you used to be kind of superpowered too and you are newly not superpowered anymore and we don't really know what that means for Riley yet um so this is just basically like you know from a story writing standpoint this is just to show us that he to remind us that this plot point just happened with Riley you know Riley just got put back together again last fucking week you know <laughs> And, um, so anyway, that was what that was. Um, I wrote down that Willow said something. She was like pleading with Buffy after Dawn put her foot in her mouth without realizing it. Um, she was pleading with Buffy to like go easy on Dawn. And then she says, which this is no accident. I can't help it. I have all this involuntary empathy for Dawn involuntary empathy for Dawn. That's what they all have. And this is the episode that Buffy finds out who Dawn really is. Um, we see Ben at the hospital because Buffy goes to get to fill a prescription for Joyce since she's having all these headaches. And she sees Ben at the hospital. She sees the security guard at the hospital and he is now crazy. She just saw him like the night before and he was fine. Which... I mean, it's important to point out that, like, 
in terms of like talking about a fantasy show, Buffy, and this is something that's, I will probably refer to it this way often because Glory has this thing where she kind of like loses her tether on reality and she sucks people's brains out, essentially. She takes their sanity from them. And I mean, obviously this is not really how psychological psychological things in your brain work and calling someone crazy isn't really saying anything. Um, but in the context of this show, I think you can understand what I'm referring to when I say that he's crazy now, but he wasn't yesterday, you know, you know what I'm saying? Um, so it's just like, it's, it's not really accurate to call someone crazy. And it's the type of thing that like some people actually are pretty triggered by like, that word even being used because it doesn't really mean anything. It's, but I, th I feel like it's, I feel like it is okay in this context because this is a fantasy world and it's literally like a person has their sanity and then sanity, sanity, and then they no longer do after glory takes it from them. So it's obviously nothing like that really exists in the real world, but in the context of this show, I think we can use it that way. Hopefully it's okay with you guys. Um, okay. Ben glory. So we finally see glory and this is the first time we've seen her episode five. She breaks down the door at like the warehouse where the monks are hanging out and she, um, starts like bitching about the mortal coil and how she could crap a better existence than this. And just like beautiful gloriasms. I love glory. I think she's possibly, I mean, I love a lot of villains on Buffy, you know, like Drusilla, for example, um, the mayor, even the master had his charm in, in a certain way. You know, he was very cheesy, but it worked. Um, but glory is possibly my very, very favorite. And let's see. Um, Giles is like, at first, like no one's coming into the shop. This looks like it probably happens over a two day period, this episode. And I only say that because it seems like there are two different outfits for all the characters it's not a really good like representation of time in general. I think like I'm trying to like put the timeline together. So the episode starts at night while Buffy is fighting that vampire. And then we see her the next day in one outfit. And then her outfit at the end of the episode is a different outfit, right? Anyway, I don't know. It's like it happens over like a night and then two days or something like that. And, um, so what, what does that have to do with anything? I don't know. I think about these things. <laughs> um, oh, so, okay. That's why that's what made me think of that because I think opening day of the magic shop was like a slow day. And then you see Giles the next day and like everybody's there and it's super busy. And this is like the only time we're ever going to see the magic shop super busy, but it's like crazy, crazy, crazy busy. And it's kind of cute how like just throughout the course of the day, every time you see the magic shop as a set piece, every time you're in the magic shop, it's just like crazy, crazy busy. 
and um Anya just kind of jumps in and starts helping kind of everybody just jumps in and starts helping except Buffy she doesn't help like at all actually you don't really see Xander helping but at the end of the day he's acting like he's exhausted because he was helping but Anya and Willow are definitely helping um yeah (laughs) oh here's here's a note Xander's so buff. It's like they're, I mean, I don't think that like Nicholas Brendan is any more buff than he was before, but I think they were trying to, until the replacement, I think they're using the replacement as an excuse. Um, the episode where there were two Xanders, I think they're using that episode as an excuse to like dress him a little nicer so that you can see how buff he is because they tried to put him in like oversized clothes and layers and stuff before to kind of downplay they wanted him to look a little scrawnier and um because i think what what happened was nicholas brendan was just kept himself in better shape than they planned for him to be in as xander the character so they're just kind of like they're finally like embracing it that like he's kind of a buff guy he kind of fills out a shirt you know um but it's just weird because like suddenly they're dressing him like as if he is suave xander i don't know i mean i guess that makes sense he's gone through a character development moment he's like doing his carpentry thing he's like a full-time dude now he's starting to like be more self-assured so we're seeing him wear clothes that fit him But, you know, it's just kind of sad because, like, you know, I used to have a gigantic crush on Xander when I was younger. The first watch through of Buffy, I had a gigantic crush on Xander. That really didn't last because through every rewatch of Buffy, you know, I I almost always, like, have a crush on somebody different on every rewatch. I think this time around it's Giles, and I don't think I've ever really had a crush on Giles, but... I would say he's the one that I think is cute the most often, you know, besides like the obvious, which like, you know, Tara or Faith, but, um, yeah. Okay. You guys, I just, (laughs) I just want to go to bed. Um, sorry. I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to like complain. Like I didn't have like a terrible day. It was just one of those days where it's like, you start your period, you stub your toe, you get bug bites you can't explain, you spill wine all over everything and you're just really fucking tired. It's just, it's just one of those days. Um, I don't know what's going on in all of the planets right now. Oh my God. I just remembered I still have makeup all over my face too. So I'm gonna have to take that off later. You ever just like, God damn it. I don't have what it takes to take this makeup off today. Whatever. Anyway. Um, I liked the moment where like, um, so Giles is like very overwhelmed because of how busy it is in the magic shop and Xander like just arrives. It's like, Hey Giles, how you doing? Or something. I don't know how the conversation starts, but Giles just says, there's too many of them people and they all seem to want things. And that moment right there so perfectly exemplifies what it feels like. I don't actually, like, I I don't really have, I have a tiny bit of retail experience, but 
most of my public service experience is customer service through working at a library. So it's not the same as retail, obviously, because most of the time I don't have to sell people things. You know, I do have to ask people for money for fines sometimes, but, um, that is how I feel after a very long, busy day of working with the public is like, people just want things. They want things from me. They just keep wanting things from me. God damn it. <laughs> and I just, I have no, I don't have any more, anything else to give. Um, yeah. Oh, people, people. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so Buffy gets the idea from Anya that um, apparently there's some kind of spell to see spells. So Buffy can like go into a trance because she's theorizing right now because of something the security guard said to her at the hospital in his crazy mind speak. Um, he said something to her about they come to you through your family or something like that. And um, she theorized that maybe maybe since they don't know, the doctors don't know what's wrong with Joyce yet. And that's part of the, the fear is that she just keeps having all these crazy headaches that nobody knows what's wrong. And, um, so she's like, oh, well maybe, maybe that guy's right. Maybe, maybe there's like, someone's putting a spell on my mom, you know? And so she goes home to do the trancy thing. We get like a little scene between her and Riley where she's like trying to make him feel important and telling him that she needs his help with this trance but it's quite obvious that like this is not something that she needs his help for at all and he knows that and he's like are so you just are trying to make me feel better and it's just I don't know it's kind of a painful scene and something that I would highly recommend um if you're not already watching it's um on YouTube it is the passionate nerd and that's what I'm like when I say it too fast you might not I'm saying TPN for the passionate nerd it's, um, his Buffy guide. Oh, you guys, I just realized I'm about to catch up with him. So I might not be able to use his episode guide as like part of my study process for you guys anymore because I'm only a few episodes behind him right now. And I would assume it probably takes him longer to put his episodes up. I don't know how often he puts them up. Um, I didn't even realize that they weren't all already out there, but, um, anyway, he was talking about, he spent a part of his episode talking about this episode, talking about, um, his, and I'd never thought about this before, but he has a theory about like Buffy. She really only like, she's only able to give to Riley like physical affection and that is it. And he showed a bunch of examples of like every time Riley wants to kind of like talk, have an emotional conversation or something, Buffy like takes it to the physical. And, um, she seems to feel like she only needs to give him physical affection in order to maintain the relationship or something. Um, and he showed a bunch of examples of it and you see it kind of in this scene where like he is, you know, not trying to like have any kind of serious conversations right now. He knows that she needs to do this trance thing and he's going to get out of her way and he's just being very understanding. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to make myself scarce, whatever. And he just gives her a little kiss on the forehead and she knows that she 
she feels obligated to comfort him in some way. So she like has him like give her a real kiss, you know, and I'm not explaining it well, but the, the examples that he showed on the TPN Buffy guide, what of like how she always kind of takes it to the physical. And after like they have sex together, she thinks that's it. She doesn't really need to engage anymore. She can, she's done her duty as a girlfriend or something. And he kind of, you know, he didn't really say all of that stuff, but it was just interesting to think about, oh yeah, she really does kind of like, I mean, it's not quite this obvious, but she really does kind of try to shut him up when he wants to talk about like real shit by just like making out with him and stuff. And she takes it to the physical intimacy because it's all she can really give him. She can't actually give him like actual love. Um, I liked the, when she called it all pray and no slaying. I kind of admire Buffy's dedication in this moment because you see, so like when she does the trance thing, you see her like pour the spooky sand and light the magic incense and then cool score comes up that kind of sounds like the restless score. Um, and she, they, they show like a scene of like the sun setting and stuff. And it seems like it's like the middle of the day when she sits down for the trance. I would say this is huge progress for Buffy as a character, like being able to sit down for like, presumably this was a trance that at least took her an hour and a half, right? <laughs> um, if the sun was able to like completely set and it's full night by the time she gets up from the trance, gets up from the ritual and she's in the trance. So that's some dedication. She really like, she really went there. She really trusted herself to be able to do the thing. And it's a magic thing. She was doing a magic thing. You don't really see Buffy do magic things, especially completely by herself. This might be one of the only times you see it, actually. So, I don't know. I was just kind of impressed by that, just thinking about it. I don't think I ever noticed until this particular rewatch that, like, it was fully middle of the day and then it was night whenever she stood up from that circle. Um, so then she's walking around her house trying to find traces of spells. There's nothing around her mom, nothing at all. But then of course, this is a really cool reveal actually, because if you think about like, if you're watching this in real time, and obviously you guys know this is not a spoiler free podcast. I've already spoiled some things in this episode. So sorry, I didn't, I try to mention it before I started spoiling things, but sorry, I didn't do that this time. <laughs> anyway, um, this is a really cool reveal for like, because if you're just watching this in real time and you don't know anything about what's going on, suddenly Dawn shows up at the beginning of the season and she's just been around for three full episodes at this point. She showed up at the beginning of that first episode and she's been around for episodes two, three, and four of the season. And she's just been there as if she's always been there. And it's kind of cool that the show just like, let that simmer, let you really feel her as a part of, of the cast. And she really feels like she's just been there. She feels like a normal part of the show. And so it's just a kind of a cool reveal that you see Buffy in this trance with a super cool score in the background. And the way that it's revealed that's, that Dawn is not, not Buffy's sister, not entirely real, 
that she herself is kind of a spell. You just see her disappearing from pictures. You see her disappearing in real life like she's not real and all of that stuff. And it's just a really cool reveal. It just is. Um, Buffy is, she reacts violently to Dawn. I didn't really like that because I feel like if if Buffy's memories of Dawn were really that entrenched, wouldn't her first instinct be to question? Like, I could see her maybe like saying, you're not my sister, like without thinking. But then I feel like she would get the fuck out of there and like figure it out, you know, because Buffy leaves when she needs to figure things out. So, which she does, but the fact that she like pushes her up against the wall and she's like, get, stay away from my mother and just like all this stuff. It's a little much, but I, and this is, this was something that, um, TPN mentioned in his Buffy guide as well, that like plot points like this. And then from the second that Buffy realizes something is weird about Dawn, Dawn is acting super, super suspicious for like the next two or three scenes. And it's, it's ridiculous enough that it's not natural. Like she's saying, she's just saying weird things like, don't worry about Buffy or like, do you want some tea mom? And like, you know, robot Dawn speak or something like it's, it's very odd. And it's the kind of thing that like takes you out of the moment and makes you realize like those kinds of plot points, that kind of setup is just to make, it's like Spike at the end of season six, when he like goes off to get his soul and you don't know that yet. And he's just saying that bitch is going to get what she deserves and like stupid shit like that. And then you later find out that he was going to get a soul when like, that makes no sense that he would be talking like that if he was going to get a soul on purpose. So for a long time, I didn't realize that he was getting a soul on purpose, that he was actually intending for that to happen, which he absolutely was, which we'll get into. Anyway, it's just one of those plot devices that it's only there for the viewer. So it kind of takes you out of the fantasy of the whole thing because it's not, because Buffy wasn't in that scene. So she's not, we couldn't explain it that like, maybe she's seeing Dawn as being like overly, um, maniacal or what I'm menacing. That's the word I'm thinking of. She's seeing Dawn is overly menacing because it's filtered through her perception because Buffy isn't even in one of those scenes where Dawn's acting like that. And it's just really, it's just really bad on a rewatch. Like obviously first time you're watching it, you might not necessarily remember that shit and it works for the moment, but on a rewatch, it doesn't work. And I don't like that kind of plot point. We have a very iconic moment in this episode. So Buffy is just like snapped out of her trance. It was like, as soon as she figured out what it was she was looking for, she snapped out of it. Um, I kind of wish she'd like done something that looked intentional to snap herself out of the trance, but it looked like it just happened. You know, like maybe there could be, could have been some sort of end trance keyword of some kind. I don't know. But she, she leaves the house as soon as she like 
pushes Dawn up against the closet. Like, I guess she is a slayer. She could have really, really hurt Dawn. So obviously she was holding back to some extent, so she didn't actually hurt her. Because I would imagine that Buffy pushing someone in general, her strength would be so huge that without her even necessarily meaning to, she might hurt them. So, um, so she storms out of the house and Spike is out there smoking cigarettes, leaning up against a tree in Buffy's front yard. <laughs> and this is the first time he's seeing her since the very end of the last episode when he like wakes up in a cold sweat, realizing that he's in love with Buffy. So he doesn't know this is the first time he's actually like seen her since he made that realization. And it's pretty cool. I mean, this is a very short scene, but it's, it's really cool how James Marsters plays it. Like he is so bumbling and he doesn't really know how to act in front of her now. He doesn't know what this means that like, maybe he doesn't even fully know that he loves her yet. Like he probably does, but anyway, he, he's not comfortable with his new persona as being in love with Buffy yet. He doesn't really know how to wrap his head around it. And, um, you can see all of that happening in this really short scene. You can see it. It's great. He's such a good actor. Um, and the iconic part is of course, she's like, what are you doing here in five words or less? And he's like out for a walk, counting on his fingers and then realizes he's got one more word and goes, bitch. <laughs> And it's so good. The delivery is perfect. The way that he counts off on his fingers, like starting with his pinky, he starts with his pinky out for a walk. And then he uses his thumb for the bitch. I don't know. For some reason, it's just like unexpected and it just works. It's hilarious. Um, but something that TPN pointed out that I didn't even notice, I noticed that Buffy called Spike William in this moment, but it, I didn't really understand why she did that. And now I get it. He, he pointed out that like Spike doesn't really call Buffy by her name. He calls her Slayer. He doesn't call her Buffy. And, um, in this scene, like whenever she first sees him, he's like, Oh, hi, hi hi Buffy or something like that. You know, he's real sheepish and he calls her Buffy. And that's why she responded by saying, I don't remember what she said, but she addressed him as William. And he kind of reacted to it a little bit, like almost like, like, I, I don't, I, I don't have words. You guys, Mercury is in retrograde. I don't know. Lately, I've been having a lot of trouble with words. <laughs> so that's perfect timing for recording a podcast episode, right? Thank you guys for coming on this journey with me. You're the best. So after this little short conversation, like Spike storms off or something and Buffy realized she sees like a pile of cigarettes next to the tree. So it's obvious that he has been standing out there for a long time, or this is not the first night that he's done this. And it's, it's odd that she doesn't like seem to think anything about it. It's like she notices it and then she moves on. This will be interesting on this particular rewatch. Like how many times is it obvious that Spike is in love with Buffy and Buffy it, I would, what I'd like to pay attention to is 
do we think, and I would love to hear your thoughts. I'm going to start giving you guys a new email now. I'm trying not to use my Gmail anymore. <laughs> I'm trying to like quit all Google products. Wish me luck. Um, so if you guys want to send me an email with any of your thoughts, I always would love to have your thoughts on anything that we talk about on this podcast. So, um, you can send me your thoughts on mixtress Ray at protonmail.com. So it's M I X T R E S S R A E. And then proton is spelled P R O T O N, you know, just like the math thing, proton. Math thing, science thing. I was supposed, I was gonna say science, and then math came out of my mouth for some reason. You guys, it's hard. <laughs> okay, so, so what I would like to pay attention to is like all of these little moments where it seems obvious that he's in love with her. Is Buffy willfully ignoring those things? Is she? Because she's a very observant person. Seeing a pile of cigarettes outside of. And seeing Spike hanging out next to the tree in her front yard, wouldn't she assume? I mean, she wouldn't necessarily immediately jump to Spike's in love with me at that moment. But wouldn't that be like a, huh, really need to file that away and think about that later? Because that's interesting. Why would he be doing that? Oh yeah, Spike's a lovesick puppy. The only, you know, like it's the biggest part of Spike's persona is that he you know, has a love interest and he follows it, you know? Oh, wow. He's been really obsessed with me for a long time and his relationship with his Drusilla has completely dissolved. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's, you know, not something we should necessarily be thinking of yet, but I would just like to log that, you know, how many times is Buffy willfully ignoring or is she not willfully ignoring it? She's just, it's going over her head and she's not really noticing because whenever she first finds out that Spike's in love with her, she acts really shocked by that information. Is she actually shocked? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Um, making Dawn out to be super suspicious. Yes, we talked about that. Glory versus Buffy. So we get the first Glory versus Buffy fight in this episode. The first episode we even see Glory. And, you know, Glory's really throwing her around quite a bit. And it's, on the one hand, it's so cute. <laughs> on the other hand, I'm like, how many small blonde chicks does this show need? You know, how many? Like, it would just be so, I love Claire Kramer as Glory. She does an amazing job. However, you know, we could have had, you know, someone that looks a lot less like Sarah Michelle Gellar. I mean, maybe, I mean, I guess the idea just like metaphorically speaking is probably Buffy is fighting herself. Buffy is fighting the slayer within this whole season arc is about like discovering yourself as the slayer and discovering what the origin of where your powers lie and all of that shit. So confronting a super badass tiny blonde woman is probably about Buffy confronting herself. Okay, whatever. Um, so something that um, was mentioned on the TPN Buffy guide that I wanted to bring up with you guys. So one of the like cognitive dissonances about Dawn as a character is that we know that Dawn was written to be 
kind of like she was supposed to be written to be a 12 year old girl but then they cast a 14 year old actress in michelle trachtenberg but i mean it goes beyond that because i think the way that dawn is acting in these first episodes is much more like i don't know an eight-year-old girl it's like she's acting way younger even than 12. um she's definitely not act acting like a 14 year old girl but something that he mentioned in his episode guide was that a friend of his told him that the way that she thinks of it is that you know dawn's not a real teenage girl at all she's the key she was created by monks monks that probably have no direct experience in their lives of a teenage girl they didn't know how to make her act like a teenage girl and that i think is going to really help me understand her as a character <laughs> like oh yeah i mean it's obviously just like a way it's a headcanon it's a way that you can like make it make sense in your mind that the writers weren't necessarily thinking of but hey monks don't know how to make a 14 year old girl a bunch of celibate monks they don't got no clue about teenage girls so it's fine it's fine um they were trying to make a teenage girl and sometimes it just came out wrong you know eventually i think like dawn really becomes her own person you know at some point she takes agency away from like being this sort of like key created energy by monks um and she becomes a real person. I don't think that's happened yet. She's going to she's going to have to settle into her role for that to happen, but yeah, anyway. Okay, so where are we? Buffy goes back to the um warehouse place. That's where we get the Buffy versus Glory because Glory's like torturing the monk guy. And then Buffy like saves the monk guy temporarily, but he's dying. And so they're outside in the parking lot and a lot of this episode takes place in the parking lot of some like random warehouse where these monks were hanging out anyway so he's dying and he tells her the whole thing he tells her that dawn is a key she's a portal she is innocent she doesn't i mean it's a very powerful like whoever this actor is let me look it up Okay, I'm not going to be able to pronounce this. Ravil Isyanov. I-S-S-Y-A-N-O-V. He did a really, really great job, I think. His delivery of all of his lines, I, I don't know. Something about it is just, I love the way that he pronounces the words. All of his delivery, like his his dying scene felt really realistic to me i don't know um i just really enjoyed like i mean he's only in this episode but i just really enjoyed his performance i think he did a great job and he really made you believe that like you know we were doing the best that we could we made her into a human we sent her to you you have to protect her and just the way that he says you know like the slayer will protect and then he says, you cannot abandon. <laughs> and just, we, we gave her forum. <laughs> he makes forum into like two syllables. It's amazing. I love it. I love his voice. I love his delivery. Good job. Reveal Isyanov. Um, 
but he explains it to her that like, and just this conversation, it's like Buffy comes to terms with this information so quickly. And I think it's a testament to how she's grown as a character. She's willing to, she's willing to do everything, everything to protect this key energy in the shape of a sister. She, and she just makes that decision so quickly and you see it, you see it happening in her eyes. She's like, what? Why did you do this to me? This, she isn't real. She's not my sister. And the monk says, she doesn't know that. And that's all it takes. That is all it takes. Buffy's like, well, shit. If she has no idea, she's an innocent. She thinks she's my sister. She has no fucking clue. Well, I guess we just have to go forward as if she's my sister. And it's a weird thing that I, it's a weird decision in, in the like context of the show, of the fantasy show, blah, blah, blah. Like, this is a theme that's going to be brought up often in this season, that Buffy was willing to sacrifice Angel to save the world because it was the right thing to do because she was the slayer, because she had to accept her duties as the slayer and blah, blah, blah. But in a similar circumstance, wherein at the end at the end of the season, it's a very similar circumstance where like a portal can only be closed if she kills someone she loves, but she's not willing to do it this time. And she makes a different decision. And it almost seems, it almost seems like a similar cut and dry situation. You know, this person isn't even a real person. She, her memories in your life and even to herself are fake she's not a real person, you know, like at that point, everything, everything that could be done was done to avoid, you know, what's happening at the very end of the season from happening. And it seems like a very cut and dry situation that a, a version of Buffy from two or three years ago would have made that choice. She would have made that sacrifice that she needs to make. She would have killed Dawn and Dawn was consenting to it. She completely understood the whole situation and she knew that she was going to be brave. She was going to do it even though she's just a 14 year old girl, but Buffy's not having it. And why am I talking about this? This is a lot because that's the last episode of the season. We are so far from that. Um, but I like, I just find that interesting that like part of Buffy's like her self-conceptualization of the Slayer and what being a Slayer means. She is integrating it into who she is to such an extent that she would make a completely different decision now than she did three years ago at the end of season two, you know? And that is, that is a theme that is explored in the actual narrative as well, not just something that I'm learning out about. But I just think it's interesting that she would, she's going to make a completely different completely different decision in a similar circumstance because she's making the decision as Buffy at the end of this season instead of Slayer. You know, like up until now, it's always been like, like she thought of herself as two people. She saw, she thought of herself as Buffy and then she thought of herself as the vampire Slayer. But the whole show is about figuring out how to be both how to still maintain your identity and integrate something as crazy as being a slayer into who you are. And 
this season is an integral part of that process for her. And I don't think I've ever really thought about it that way. Like this particular rewatch, I'm just like, Oh, season five. It's the Slayer identity season. Yes, I get it. I'm on board. Here we go. Like, I'm just like so excited about this season right now, you guys. Like in the past, I would have said season three is my favorite season. And as far as just like, you know, beautiful nostalgia is concerned. I love watching seasons one through three. Love it. Four gets a little like, what the hell are you guys doing? But it has a lot of good episodes in it. And then I I don't, I've never really like, I've always enjoyed season five, but I don't think I've ever really given it the thought that it deserves. And so I'm so glad to be here with you guys. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. I can't remember. Is this season as strong as the first five episodes have been, does it stay that strong throughout the whole season? I mean, surely there's some clunkers, right? I don't, I don't feel like I know this season as well as I think I do. It's possible. I mean, every time I've done a rewatch of Buffy, I've watched it pretty much all the way through. So I don't know that there are any seasons that I've watched more often than others because I don't think I've ever just really picked one season to watch or anything like that. I think I just go all the way through every time I go through it. But, but for some reason, I feel like fuzzy on all the details of season five. So I'm kind of feeling like I'm watching it for the first time right now, which I don't know. I'm excited about so many things. I'm excited about Spike being lovesick towards Buffy. I'm excited about like, I'm not excited about what's happening with Joyce, but I'm excited about Dawn. Like, I don't know. I just, I really like over the years I've gained great affection for Dawn and like seeing her grow up in the comics, even, um, I don't, she had some interesting character development in the comics and I just like her. (laughs) The fact that like Michelle Trachtenberg is like a total like weird goth chick now. Like I, um, follow her on Instagram, even though I'm trying to quit Instagram, but like in the past I followed her on Instagram. She just seems like such a cool chick. Anyway, whatever. I'm just all sentimental right now, you guys. So what are we doing? Where are we? Are we at the end of my notes? What, what time is it? Is Zorro on? Are you cooking beans? Sorry, that's a really old David Letterman bit. Okay. Um, where are we? Yes, we do have, still have a lot of notes left. <laughs> Giles offers Anya a job. The whole scenes, just all the scenes with the magic shop in this episode are so precious. Um, there was one little moment. It was just one tiny shot and I didn't pause it and like truly take it in, but it looks like, so when you're like looking at the cash register in the magic box, if you're seeing the, the full like floor to ceiling shot in that particular, from that particular perspective, it looks like there's like an entire tarot deck, like up on like the, the ledge of the archway at the very top next to the ceiling. I mean, it just looks like cards about that size. I couldn't really tell like if they were necessarily tarot cards, but it looked like it was just a bunch of cards, like, like taped to the wall on that little archway ledge. 
whatever whatever you're supposed to call that. Um, so I'm, I'll be curious to pay attention to that in the future and see if that's a thing, if it's actually tarot cards. Um, blah, blah, blah. It's a portal. I really like when... Um, so Buffy goes home and she apologizes to Dawn. And this is the first... This whole scene is a really sweet scene. But it's the first time we see Buffy genuinely affectionate towards Dawn. And she's, like, playing with her hair, just being comforting towards her. And Dawn, like, reacts to it as if this is kind of normal, you know? So this is probably a sisterly moment of affection that they have fake memories of happening over the years, you know? Um, and it's just a really touching scene, but I really... Okay, the part that... <laughs> The part that I was going to say that I really enjoyed was when Don called Buffy a butthole. Butthole. Like, I feel like we don't call each other buttholes often enough in society anymore. <laughs> it's just such a good word. Butthole. Such a butthole. Um, it's just a great insult. I, I just want to, let's resurrect butthole. What, what do you say? <laughs> Sounds so gross. Uh, okay. I really liked the scene though, because it's further development of like, you're just seeing at this point, like, I think probably in the next episode, we'll see Buffy like telling Giles about this whole situation. But at this point, she's just dealing with it completely on her own. And she has just immediately decided, okay, she's my fucking sister. Like, I don't care if she's not really my sister, but she's my sister. And you see her kind of processing that a little bit, but still it's, it's not really agony for her. She just, she's just like, okay, she's my sister. We just, we're going on as if she's my sister. And that moment where she's, she's like apologizing to Dawn for like being a bitch to her before. And she, Dawn's, you know, upset, understandably. And Buffy's like, you can't even take an apology. You, you've always done that ever since. And you see her just stop and go, shit, not ever since. Like, this is, she's just like realizing the intricacy of the memories. And she's also simultaneously realizing the memories aren't real. And like, she'd forgot that for a second. And it's just such a natural way that like, if this were real life, that you would that would be a way that you would deal with it. You would be like, oh, ever since, oh, wait, this, none of this is real, <laughs> you know? Um, it's just, it's just good. Um, it's just good. Like Joss is nowhere to be seen. And this show is perfect right now. I'm just saying. Um, I also like when um, Dawn says to Buffy, I have this theory that mom adopted you from a shoebox full of howler monkeys. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, perfect. Yes. Howler monkeys, Buffy the howler monkey. Yes. I'm into that. Yes. Um, okay. So that's pretty much the end of my fucking notes, apparently. Um, but that's how the episode ends actually. So like Buffy is apologizing to Dawn. She sits down next to her on the bed and she starts like combing her hair back and it's a sweet little affectionate moment. And you can actually tell that like Sarah Michelle Gellar has genuine affection for Michelle Trachtenberg. And that's one of the reasons why she was hired for the part because she'd like worked with her on a soap opera or something before Buffy. 
started and she wanted her to get the part even though she was like older than um, the character was supposed to be and you can just see genuine affection between the two of them and it's probably part of the reason why Don feels like a part of the family already not only because of good writing and all of that shit but because the the actors have genuine chemistry together like you know it just all works they feel like a family and I don't know. Another thing to note, Tara also completely absent from this episode. Apparently Amber Benson just had shit going on because like there seems to be just like way too many times where it's just like, uh, where's Tara? <laughs> like Tara would absolutely be around for the opening of the magic shop. God damn it. <laughs> I don't like that. They, I just, it, it's just a pet peeve of mine when like a regular character that would be there for certain events is not mentioned. But, like, all they'd have to... Okay, I know that I said this the last episode that Tara was absent from. But all they would fucking have to do is have one little throwaway line of, like, somebody could ask Willow, where's Tara? And she could be like, oh, she's visiting her cousin or, you know, something... It doesn't even have to be great. It doesn't have to take up much screen time. One little fucking line to explain why Tara's not there. That's all I fucking need, you guys. That's all I fucking need. Have we done all of our ratings? Okay, so I did the quote. I did the outfit object of the episode. Let's see. Oh, the Dagon Spear. For sure. I actually, like, what I would really like is an Orb of Thessala. You know, for a person that, like, has a tarot shop and loves witchy things, do you know that I don't have a crystal ball? I do not have a crystal ball. I would really like to have one. Like, something, like, kind of sizable with a lot of inclusions in it. You know, I don't want it to be, like, clear. Not at all. I want it to have, like, a lot of, like, you know, curves and swerves and cracks. You know what I'm saying? Inclusions. I want to be able to stare into its strange beauty. Um, I don't know, maybe Amethyst... I don't know, but I would for sure have to call it either a Dagon Sphere or an Orb of Thessala. <laughs> I would not call it a Crystal Ball. I would call it an Orb of Thessala or something. Um, yes. And if it could have some sort of like innate inner glow to it, kind of like the Dagon Sphere and the Orb of Thessala did. <laughs> Basically, I want it to be magic. Uh, can I have that? Yes. So I'm going to say Dagon Sphere because, especially because it's like a protection device and it protects against like unnameable, unknowable evil. So I would absolutely like to have that. Protection devices are where it's at, you guys. Um, what else? I didn't even write down like, oh, MVP of the episode. Hmm. You know what? I'm going to give it to the monk. I mean, Buffy really did a great job. You know, she's accepting her not-a-sister-sister, like, pretty much immediately, just like that. And I think that's really cool. But also, yeah, the monk. The monk gets MVP of the episode for sure. Um, I don't know, just, like, morally speaking, like, do I... Do I consent to what the monks did? I mean, I see that they, like, had to do... They had to do what they had to do. 
and that's why they did what they did. <laughs> Very specific, right? But I don't like what they did. Playing with someone's life like that, I don't know that I would have accepted it as quickly as Buffy did. I think it would have taken me more time. I think I would have been really angry just for someone fucking with my life, fucking with my memories. And Buffy has like one tiny moment of that reaction and then she just moves past it, past it immediately, which I think is so cool. It's such a heroic way to think. And I know that's what I've been talking about for like forever. So I should shut up. But yeah, I don't know. Hmm. What do you guys think? Do you think that it's like a total invasion of like privacy and life? Like how do they even fucking do it? Okay, I realize it's a TV show, mom, but how do they fucking do it? How do they construct really complex memories in everyone's lives? I mean, obviously it had to have been like a an intuitive spell because the monks don't know all this shit about Buffy's life. So it had to have just been a spell that like created super believability, but that would totally negate the theory that they don't know how to create a teenage girl. Mm. <laughs> anyway, um, so yes, five by five ratings. Am I even doing those anymore? I don't know. Inclusivity. Uh, I don't think I saw, I mean, I guess the monks were not totally white. They didn't speak English, but I, I don't know how that shit works. Is where they're from white? I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. Um, yeah. So no real inclusivity in this episode in general. Um, we do get a little bit of Anya character development, which I didn't really even mention, but like, I love to see her just sort of jumping in and like taking over shit and like being instantly great at magic shop retail, which it makes sense that she would be because she has been around for a thousand years and she had a job that included being a demon that used magic. So it totally makes sense. Um, I like that. And I wish, I wish that we got to see more of that just in general. We also get, um, Xander, the way that he talks to Anya, I mean, I'm not really bringing it up right now, but the way that he sort of corrects her behavior all the time is, is a pet peeve of mine. And it, and it bothers me. And it happened in this episode. And it's sometimes it's like, it's understandable what he's explaining to her because she doesn't totally get the ins and outs of social behavior. She's sort of an autistic character. If you want to read her that way, which of course I do because I relate to Anya, um, in that way. And that's probably why it also is kind of triggering for me to hear Xander correcting her all the time, because I feel it on kind of a personal level. Um, but it's something that's going to be a bigger deal later on. So I'll bring it up then, but I just wanted to mention that it happens in this episode. Um, it's just a little thing. Like he's telling her to tell people to have a nice day and she's not taking it in a bad way or anything. She's not like, you know, bristling at it or anything, but 
I don't know, just there were good Anya development moments. Like she gets a job in this episode. She has this little moment where she's like, I've never had to afford things before. And it's making me that she didn't say cranky. I don't know. She said something like that. It's making me cranky. Um, and, and Giles offers her a job, which starts their beautiful boss employee relationship. I love Anya and Giles together. Um, and all, all their glory. Yes. Um, sorry. I'm so scattered, you guys. Um, so yeah, I think that's all I have to say about this episode, I guess. Sorry, this isn't the best conversation ever. Um, let's talk about the Angel episode. It is called Dear Boy, and I did watch it. <laughs> I did. Yay, gold star for me. I watched it. Um, oh, did I lose my... I think I lost my bookmark. Hold on, let me find it. Okay, here's the episode description according to Nikki Stafford. Angel finally realizes that Darla is alive, but no one will believe him, especially not Kate. Dear boy is a... Okay, no, wait, that was, that was the whole, that was the whole thing. <laughs> that was the whole description. Okay, um, so we see Kate again in this episode, which I think is the first time we've seen her this season. I absolutely could, can and could be wrong because this is only the second episode of Angel that I've watched this season. <laughs> Still haven't gone back. I want to like go back and start from the beginning and like catch up. Um, but I have not done that yet. Anyway, I just like, uh, this whole plot point of like angels sleeping all the time because Darla's being a succubus and she's being super rapey to him in his sleep. I feel like that has been going on forever and I've only watched the last two episodes. I know it's been going on for longer than that, but I didn't even watch those episodes, but I'm still like so over it. But in this episode, so angel figures it out. Kate somehow gets involved. Darla is like so, oh, oh, so creepy. Like not only is she like rapey to him in his sleep, but she's also like really good at playing the victim. Like she does it um, to Kate. She does it to other people. Like she's, oh, and then Angel gets like, this is like so like nonverbal. I'm like, and then it's like, ew. And then it's like, what? <laughs> But Angel's just like, he gets super aggressive with her and I don't like it. There's just like, I think this episode, like structurally and like, as far as like serving the plot was actually a really well done episode, but it was super upsetting. And you see all these flashbacks to like, you know, Darla and Angel's vampire life back in the day and you see him you see a little bit of Drusilla in this episode which was great because I love Drusilla it shows you know kind of how he drove her crazy and how it was sort of Darla's idea in the first place they're putting a lot of the origin of how evil Angel used to be they're putting a lot of it onto Darla which this is the first time we're ever seeing that narrative like that the evil of Angelus they're kind of blaming on Darla in this episode which I don't know if they're just doing that in service of this particular plot point of Darla they're trying to like hype 
that if Darla succeeds in like giving Angel a moment of happiness, then they will be unstoppable and they'll be the most evil thing ever like they used to be. Which is another, like, they're just trying to freak you out. Most of this episode is just building up to trying to freak you out. Like, you think, like, Angel, like, legit, like, hardcore makes out with Darla. Like, on purpose. With a soul. He does that. When he's really just trying to... I don't, I don't understand... I think they're only doing that because they want you to think that he's going to like have sex with her and that he might lose his soul. But then at the end of the episode, he kind of tells her that he's never had a moment of happiness with her, despite the fact that they spent like 200 years together or some shit or 150, I think is what he said. Um, he never had a moment of happiness with her ever. Um, but he had that with Buffy. So like this whole thing is like him teasing her that he's going, I don't know. Like it is a real fucked up dynamic between Darla and Angel in this episode. And it makes me feel really icky and I don't like it. And I'm obviously not explaining it well because I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it on just talking about the Angel episodes in general. But like, yeah, I don't really know what to say. Um, what about everybody else in the episode? Um, it was nice to see Kate again. Um, she's got curly hair. It looked all wet and curly. Kate's, Kate's a cutie. Um, Darla pisses me off. I mean, again, just another tiny blonde chick. Like how many tiny blonde chicks? I mean, we have on Angel, we have Kate and Darla. <laughs> two tiny blonde chicks on Buffy right now, Buffy and glory, two tiny blonde chicks. Like I love, you know, diversity and people and just like, can't we just have, like, I just feel like if you're going to have a TV show, why not cast people that look very different from each other? Why not? Why not? Why do like the two big loves of Angel's life have to be tiny blonde chicks? Why? Why can't they look completely different from each other? I don't understand. <laughs> um, and that's probably like part of that is I have trouble. I usually am better at it when it comes to women. But a lot of the time, if white guys on a show look somewhat similar, I can't tell them apart. It's actually difficult for me. Like with women, usually they like do their makeup differently or they wear slightly different clothes or they have different haircuts. I can, I think I have a little bit of face nesia, like until I have seen a person's face a bunch of times, I actually don't feel like I recognize it. I don't know if there's a word for that, but like legit, I don't recognize people until I've seen them a bunch of times and in person and like on screen and stuff like that. So like if there aren't other cues to go by. And a lot of the time people just like, don't spend time differentiating male characters from each other. They don't try to like dress them differently. They don't give them different haircuts necessarily. So if they look relatively similar and there aren't any other cues to like tell them apart character wise. And a lot of the times they don't even try because with men, you can have, you can have, all of the men, all of the men 
we have an endless capacity for sympathizing with white guys or people think we do, you know? So I don't know. It's just one of my personal pet peeves, like just from a diversity standpoint, obviously, but also just in general, like why not make it easy for the people watching and telling the characters apart by differentiating them, by casting people that look totally different, different body sizes, different skin tones, different nationalities, different whatever, all of it. Give us different ages. Like not everybody has to be young, petite, blonde, white woman. Like, come on, we can do better than this. <laughs> okay, I'm going to stop because I'm just delirious. What time is it? Is there a one? No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that again. It's 11.55. Okay. I sat down to start recording at 10 o'clock. Then I spilled wine all over everything. Then I started at 10.30 and now it's 11.55. So yeah, that tracks. Um, I hope you guys are well. That's, I think that's all I'm going to say about Angel. I didn't even give five by five ratings to Buffy. <laughs> I just started talking about Angel. <laughs> Um, as far as enjoyability of the Buffy episode, No Place Like Home, um, it was a good episode. It was a well-constructed episode that pushed forward the plot. It had good moments in it. I'm going to give it a four. Um, and then as far as the Angel episode, it was well-constructed. It pushed forward the plot, but I hated all the dynamics between Angel and Darla. I hated it. I, you know, I liked seeing like, you know, more little tidbits of, no, you know what? I don't even, I don't even like angel flashbacks. I don't like them. They don't, they're no, <laughs> but it was a good episode. It was, like I said, well-constructed. It made sense. Like, I think we are hitting the sweet spot of Angel. Like, when Angel is a good show, it is good. It is decent. Like, I don't think it holds up to a lot of scrutiny, which is why I don't spend a lot of time scrutinizing. Like, I don't take notes when I watch it. I just kind of watch it and then try to remember some shit a couple hours later when I talk to you guys. But it was okay. That's, yeah. Maybe that's going to be how I rate Angel episodes. Uh, it was okay. I liked the moments where you got to see a little bit about Drusilla. Maybe I just don't like Julie Benz. And it's not her fault. She's just a tiny blonde woman with a really soft voice. And it's just, it's a thing that I just have a visceral response to. And, but at the same time, I love Joey Lauren Adams. She's also a petite blonde chick with a soft voice. So I don't even think I can totally say that I'm against that as a concept. I think it might be Julie Benz. I'm sorry if you're listening, Julie Benz. I'm sure. In fact, I think that voice is an affectation with you. And I understand why you do it in the service of acting because it's probably helped your career, but I don't like it. I don't think it's not an affectation with Joy Lauren Adams. Like her voice actually sounds the way that it sounds, but with Julie Benz, it's too breathy. I think it's <sighs> Jennifer Coolidge though. 
She has that kind of voice. Is it Jennifer Coolidge I'm thinking of? Who was the chick that was on Bride of Chucky? Because that chick has a breathy, like, wispy, petite blonde voice, but I'm okay with hers too. (laughs) Anyway, let's not pick apart breathy, tiny blonde voices. Um, because apparently I don't really have a problem with them. It's just Julie Benz. Julie motherfucking Benz. (laughs) So, ah, I just like, there's going to be a lot of Darla in this season. So get ready for it, I guess. I don't know. I'm not ready. Are you ready? How are you guys? I hope you're well. I hope you're less delirious than I am right now. Um, I will say I am wearing pajamas. I am thankful that I didn't spill candle wax. I am thankful that I didn't spill both my water and my wine, which I don't even know how that happened because the wine was right next to the water, but I only spilled the wine. Um, I am thankful that I probably will have the means to replace this book that I completely ruined. Yeah, it's, it's, it's done for. And I have notes because I like to make notes in my books. So I'm going to have to like keep this one, but until I get a new copy and then make those notes again, you guys don't care. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know how anyone listens to this shit. Thank you so much for doing it because you give me life and I love you so much. I hope that you have a wonderful week and I will be back in two weeks, I think. Let me see. Yes. Because we'll get to talk about the next episode. Oh, that's that's the that's the Tara episode, family. Yay. I'm excited about that. So two weeks from today, November 7th, we will get to talk about family, the Tara episode. So next Saturday is Halloween. Will I be back to talk to you guys about a horror movie? That would be really cool if I was not going to make any promises, but if you guys are interested in me talking about like some spooky movie of some kind, like any horror movie that you guys, I've been thinking about watching, I think I'm going to watch Cabin in the Woods. I'm going to revisit that. Um, I would like to, I, I only saw it once, but I'd really like to watch Jennifer's Body again. Um, I've been also thinking about Nightmare on Elm Street lately. If you guys have any interest in me, like giving you guys a special Halloween show next Saturday where I just talk about some random horror movie of some kind, let me know what you'd like me to watch and talk about. So send me an email on mixtressray at protonmail. And I would love to hear your, hear your suggestions. Um, yeah, I hope you have a great couple of weeks. If I don't come back next week to talk about a horror movie, then I'll be back in two weeks to talk about the next episode of Buffy. And you guys are the best. Thank you for listening to all of my rambling tonight. You are wonderful. And I will see you next time. Bye.